Good morning and a warm welcome to you all to Ladywell Baptist Church and our service of worship at the beginning of this new week. It's great to be together and to begin our week by worshipping God as one family. As we come to uh, this new week, a few things to mention, and I have one announcement that is coming from uh, Hannah and Joel Murray, and so we'll take that just now. Hello! We are looking for people to help us out at YF. This could mean participating in prayer groups, discussions and games, handing out snacks, giving lifts, or just doing what you can to help out. We're looking for people to help on Sunday nights at YF and our smaller groups running on Tuesdays and Thursdays. It doesn't matter if you can't make all these days, just whatever ones you're free. And it doesn't matter how old you are or how capable you think you are. Um, there's so many ways people can help out. We're not, we don't need people to like lead things or be teaching or anything. Just like making relationships with the young people and stuff like that. Um, obviously, we're not sure yet when we're going to be back at YF, but we'd like to get this organised as soon as possible. So if you're interested at all, then please contact us. Thank you. Bye. Just a reminder to you that we're going to be uh, meeting on Monday evening at half past seven for our drop-in cafe. On Tuesday evening, we have our question and answer night at half past seven, again on Zoom, and we'll be sending out uh, the information for that. You should have the, the details for that already. If you don't, just get in touch with us. If you could get any questions you have for that to me by the end of the day, Today, that's on Sunday, that would be fantastic. It'll give us a chance just to pull together some answers. We've only had one or two questions so far, so there's still an opportunity for you. And there'll be some chance for a discussion as well, but that's on Tuesday. On Wednesday evening, we'll be having our prayer meeting and Bible study, again at half past seven on Zoom, and we would like to invite you along to that. It'd be great to spend some time together in prayer for our church and for our world, as well as coming before God's Word. Also, just a reminder to you that we'll be sending out this week a second of five lockdown feedback forms. You'll have hopefully received the first one over this past week. If you haven't, please do get in touch with us and we'll make sure that we get it to you. But you'll be getting the second one. This one will have, again, a reflection and a number of questions to get you to, to think about your time during lockdown, your experience, to look to the future and uh, to consider what we might take forward from our time, what we can learn uh, from this experience as a church family together. So please do take the time to read that, to consider it, uh, to answer those questions, uh, and to keep those answers, and we'll gather them all back together again at the end of the five weeks. As we come to worship together this morning, uh, we begin our time hearing from God's Word in Ephesians chapter 3. And there we read, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and height and length and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I don't know what more we could wish for at this time as we uh, want to, to look to the future, to know where we're going and what we're doing as lockdown continues on, 
but we want to know whatever the future holds, just how much Christ loves us, just how much he wants us to grow in our maturity and in our love for him that we might be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And all this begins in our faith in Christ. It is his spirit that dwells within us so that we know Christ and grow in our knowledge of him so that we might be more mature in that faith which will see us through this time and whatever our future holds in lockdown or beyond. And so we're going to spend some time together in our service considering the faith that we have in Christ and why it alone is sufficient for our salvation as we continue on in our series looking at the core elements of the Christian faith. So we're going to spend some time in Romans a little later in our service considering uh, salvation by faith in Christ alone. Just before we uh, begin our time together, let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this time, this beginning of a fresh week. And Lord, as we spend time together, Lord, we ask that you would bless us, that you would uh, increase our knowledge and our understanding of you through your word. Lord, you would bless us as a fellowship, that you would bind us ever closer together at this time where it's most needed. Lord, we've gone through many weeks and now months of lockdown, and we are feeling the pain of that most keenly. And so we ask, Lord, that as you assure us of your presence with us through Christ and your Spirit, Lord, we pray that you would build our confidence in him and bless our fellowship together. You would bind us more closely together, Lord, that we might serve one another. And Lord, we might serve our community here in Ladywell. And Father, we might see your kingdom grow and flourish in this place, even at this time of lockdown, of great uncertainty and frustration. Lord, we come before you this morning and humbly submit ourselves to you, all in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Today's reading is from Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ, to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's come together in prayer for our church and for our world. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we come before you this morning, Lord, at the beginning of yet another week of lockdown. And Lord, we see and experience all of the frustration that our society, our whole world is going through at this time. 
And Lord God, as we begin this new week and we wonder what it might hold, we give you thanks that whatever it holds, you will be at the very center of our lives. And Father, we ask that you would bless us with a knowledge of your presence this morning that would carry us out into this coming week. That we would be reminded daily, whatever we face, however hard the circumstances might be, or however easy, however painful or enjoyable, that you sit at the very center of all we are, through Christ and his work on the cross. Lord, we ask for an assurance of your presence, that we might be, Lord, enabled to deal with the stresses of this life, but also that we might be equipped to grow in our faith. We pray, Lord, that by your word and by your spirit, we might grow in our maturity as Christian men and women and so be able not just to face the difficulties of our circumstances, but that we might be able to build one another up in love, that we might be able to equip each other, that we might support one another as loving brothers and sisters ought to. Father, we pray also that you would equip us to the task of ministering to our community, that we might bless not just our family and friends, our neighbours, but all of the people in this area of Ladywell and of Livingston. Lord God, this seems like a huge task, and yet your word and your spirit are sufficient for that task. Your church has been sent out into this part of the world here in Livingston specifically to do that very thing. And so, Lord, we come and we submit ourselves to you. We make ourselves available to you and ask that you might use us for that purpose, that your gospel might be proclaimed, that salvation might come, and that this community would see your kingdom grow and thrive. Lord, even as we might struggle to imagine that happening. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who is able to do all things. And so, sovereign Lord, we come and ask that you might bless our church and our community. Lord God, we lay before you all those in our fellowship who are struggling, who are sick. Lord, who are struggling with uh, feelings of isolation and frustration. We ask that as lockdown begins to ease, that we'll be able to meet together and encourage one another in smaller local groups and households and family gatherings. And Lord, we ask that you might continue to assure us of your presence as we gather, for where we are gathered in the name of Jesus, he is present in our midst. Lord God, we pray as well for those who are struggling in our community through uh, the loss of their jobs. We've seen over this past week vast numbers, many thousands of people across this nation uh, have either been laid off or are going to be as businesses begin to reopen as lockdown eases. And Lord, we pray for those individuals, for all of the frustration and uncertainty that they're facing on top of all the rest they've already had to endure. And we ask, Lord, that as a church here in Livingston, you would give us, uh, Lord, a, a desire to go out and to meet with these individuals, to build them up, to encourage them, to meet their needs, Lord, as we are able to. Father God, we pray that you would give us, Lord, a courageous ingenuity, Lord, as we face these days that that Christians for a great many generations have not had to face, we simply don't know what to do in light of all that's going on. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us a sense of our security in you that would lead us to be 
bold and generous with the things we have. Lord, that you would give us a creativity that would help us to meet the needs of our local community in ways that we might not have previously considered. Father, we ask that by any means you might make us ministers to this people that you have placed us in the midst of. We long to serve our community in the power of the Holy Spirit, equipped by your word and sent out with the good news that Jesus saves and transforms, even in the face of the loss of family members and friends, the loss of jobs, and Lord, the loss of that sense of security that our nation has had up until this recent time. Heavenly Father, we pray that by any means you might use this fellowship here in Ladywell to be a blessing to this community. Lord, as we go into the rest of this service, this time of worship, we pray that you would bless us, build us up, and equip us by your word, and then send us out. For Lord, this is what you have saved us for, for each one of us to be ministers of the gospel wherever we are. So Father, we thank you so much for one another. We thank you for Christ, and we thank you for this time. And we ask that you would truly meet with us and bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the weeks and the months have gone by, you may have seen in the news uh, of late the the numbers for uh, the confirmed cases of COVID-19 and the numbers of those who have died with this particular virus keep creeping up. We see that in the UK, although numbers have slowed massively since um, the, the highest point, the highest rate of infections and deaths. And for all that they have slowed, they are still continuing to creep onwards. And we see across the rest of the world, particularly in developing parts of the world, uh, numbers are running almost out of control in some areas. And this uh, gives us due cause for concern. What hope do we have to share with the world at a time like this? How can we offer any kind of hope? Is the role of the church simply there to listen to people, to um, clothe and to feed those who don't have enough? Perhaps they've lost their jobs as a result of this. They've been laid off or um, they're not eligible to, uh, to be furloughed. Is it simply to, um, to, to be a support, an emotional support, uh, to those who've been affected, perhaps to those who have um, had to be in hospital, who've become ill, or those who've been bereaved as a result. Is that the role of the church at this time? Or is there something more we should be doing? Well, as I'm sure um, you will have felt, as I have, there is something more that we ought to be doing. We ought to be sharing, yes, encouragement. Uh, we ought to be building up those around us, but we ought to be sharing our faith. Now, what possible reason could we have for doing that? How on earth would that help anybody at this time? Well, as we come to Scripture and as we read this passage in Romans chapter 3, we are reminded of the reasons why this is actually a helpful thing to do at this time, as well as blessing people through listening to them and supporting them through perhaps helping them in a, in a material way. We're reminded in this passage that our lives are fundamentally broken, damaged by sin. Sin that exists in this world as 
uh, rebellion against God as a corruption of the things that God had made very good, that God had made perfect, that sin as a result of, of human rebellion against God has come and broken. The reason coronavirus exists is because this world has been corrupted, infected, damaged by rebellion against God and his word. And so as Christians, it is our place not just to say to people that we are willing to to help them and encourage them, but that we are there to provide hope as a, a message of salvation, a message that transformation can come, that sin in your life can be defeated, and that you can see your life, this whole world, in a whole new way that we work hard as a Christian people to see sin ultimately defeated in the entire world. That is what Jesus is doing through us in our world. And so this is the message of hope we have, not simply um, to encourage people, but to see them transformed at this time where we can see most clearly the corruption and damage in our own day-to-day lives as we go about Uh, this time. Paul says in uh, this passage in Romans 3 um, that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the life that God has called us to live, that our world has been infected uh, by uh, sin, and that something must be done about it. And in this passage, as we've been thinking about the core elements of the Christian faith, we see uh, one of these core elements expressed that salvation comes, that transformation comes to the life of the Christian man or woman by faith in God alone. And we're going to explore that as we go through these few verses in Romans chapter 3, that there is encouragement for us here. There is hope in the face of all of this that, it, that infects and damages our lives and this world. The solution to our problem is that we can be made right with God. Our world can be made right with God. And so we find that faith alone is what makes us right with our God. And we see that in verses 21 and 22. The first thing we need to do is define a couple of important words here uh, that Paul uses in this passage. And the first is justified. Paul says in verse 24, or 23 and 24, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. And justified means simply that we have been made right with God. We are given right standing before him. In the opening couple of verses of the passage, we read that the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, for although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And we find in these opening verses that this righteousness is God's acting in accordance with his own law, with his own standards, with his own nature, so that when we have faith in Christ Jesus, we are transformed by that faith. We are made right by that faith. We are made righteous. 
as God is righteous. Uh, And so we are able to have not just good standing with God, but a relationship with him. The barrier that stands between us and God is removed. And this comes about through Jesus' death on the cross, through the spilling of his blood, the breaking of his body on the cross, and through his resurrection. Through that means we are made right with God. And in the opening verse of our passage, Paul makes this amazing statement that it's because of the goodness of God, because of his righteousness, that he won't overlook sin in our lives and in this world. It must be dealt with. And this runs against perhaps our own Uh, assumptions as to how sin might be dealt with. That simply God could could just write it off, could just ignore it, could just move on. God is surely bigger than this. He doesn't need to have any answer given for sin. He can just simply say it's done, it is over with. But Paul says that because of God's righteousness, this cannot be. The law of God has been broken by us. Sin within us leads us constantly to work against the very nature of God itself, to deny his place in our lives and to deny um, any desire in us to, to obey God's law. And so Paul says that breaking of God's law, that running against the nature of God must be addressed, must be dealt with. And if satisfaction is given, if the penalty is paid, there therefore is no need for anyone to to fear that somehow they might not have right standing with God. If God simply overlooks sin, how do I know he has overlooked my sin? How do I know that, that the sin I commit today might not be so terrible that God simply cannot in good conscience overlook it? He must hold me to account. How will I ever know? Well, the answer comes in the passage. God holds himself to, to the standard of his own nature. He demands that an answer must be given for sin, and because he is righteous, he will ensure that every sin will be paid for, an answer will be required. And because God desires salvation for a people, for himself, we find that when Jesus comes, he pays completely for our sins on the cross, for anyone who will come and ask for forgiveness, for all who believe, verse 22 tells us. So in a nutshell, this is what uh, being justified means. We have right standing before God, even though we are a sinful people. We deny God um, and we work against his very nature. With every breath that we have, we put ourselves in God's place every single day. We are the most important people in our world instead of God. And God, knowing that, has Jesus come and die and pay the price for all of that rebellion against him so that we can stand with complete confidence knowing that if we have faith in Christ to be the the, the one who bears our penalty, then we are saved completely. All of the penalty has been placed on him. And so we have complete assurance, not in ourselves, not in our own work, because our nature says, go and try and make it up to God yourself. Go and try and do enough good things to to have God say, well, that's enough. That's okay. You've balanced the scales. 
None of that. Our assurance comes because Jesus has paid it all. And we simply are called to come and place our faith in him. The world says, do good things. The Bible says there are never enough good things and your good things don't come up to the mark. So if you try and work your way into God's good favor, there is always a chance you will lose your salvation because you're going to sin again. You're going to fall back into that old way of life when you're tired or when you're stressed or when you're simply not thinking. You might be able to work up in your life a little bit of good work, but it will never be enough and it will never be consistent enough. And so we come and we place our faith that Jesus has done what he said he would do, what scripture says he has done. And we trust that that is enough for our sins to be paid for. And so we simply come and lay ourselves before God and ask to be forgiven in light of that sacrifice that Jesus made 2,000 years ago. And scripture says we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. We've read that in passages like Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 10 or the one that we read uh, last week in uh, Titus chapter 2 verse 11 and following, as well as in this one. That we believe that we are saved through that work in Jesus' name. And so our lives are transformed and we go and live differently in light of that faith that we now have. That Ephesians 2 says is the gift of God to each one of us. It's not our works. We don't work it up in ourselves. God gives it to us freely. He makes us aware of sin, makes us aware of our need for a savior and reveals our perfect savior to us in the person of Jesus. And we cast ourselves upon him in the strength that God gives us. Richard Hooker, a 16th century Anglican of, uh, to whom we owe a huge amount, once said that God justifies the believer not because of the worthiness of his belief, but because of Christ's worthiness in whom we believe. It's all God's gracious work on our behalf. And we receive it by trusting in him uh, to, to save us. So we can relax. We don't need to run a constant treadmill of trying to do enough good things to make God pleased with you. God will be pleased with you if you cast yourself on Christ and ask for forgiveness because he's pleased with what Jesus has done. We can enjoy life with God. We don't need to go from day to day constantly fearing that God will crush us for something wrong we've done today that was just so terrible, too terrible for his love to overlook or overcome. It has all been paid for in Jesus. And so we can enjoy life with God knowing that he desires us. He desires that we grow in him, that we worship him because of the transformation that he has wrought in our lives through the work Jesus has already done. And we are able to witness boldly to our faith in the confidence of knowing that the person I am witnessing to is no more able to save himself or herself than I am, but they don't need to. God will save them if they will put their faith in Christ, if they will trust in Christ alone for their salvation. That faith is sufficient to save them completely. It means that we can witness boldly saying to people, I understand your circumstances because I'm just like you and I'm no better or no worse than you. 
Christians aren't saying they're better than non-Christians. We're saying exactly the opposite. We are stuck in the same position that you are stuck in, but we have a Savior. We all have a Savior that we can trust to save us. And so you, just like me, can be saved freely and fully by trusting in the work that Christ has done on your behalf. Faith alone makes us right with God, so we have nothing left to fear in this life. We find that faith alone also makes us one with Christ. This is, in part, how we are saved but also in part how we then go on uh, living out that saved life from that point on. Paul says in verses 22 through to 25 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short. There is nothing that we can do to help ourselves, and so we need to cast ourselves upon Christ in faith. We need help from the outside so that we can be transformed, and then live with God from that point on. And that's what Paul has said in the in the opening couple of verses. That's what Jesus does when he dies on our behalf and we place our faith on him. And now that he has done this, we find that this gift of faith that we're given that doesn't merit our salvation, but is an expression of our salvation, enables us to live life from that point on. I can rely on the work that Christ has done. And so each and every day I can live for him, knowing that I'm not trying to work up salvation myself. I can give myself to worshiping God, to loving him, to to serving him, knowing that it is all about him. It's no longer about me being made right with him. And so I can enjoy a life of uh, worship, knowing that I am made one with Christ. We find uh, this, that the word for this in uh, verse 25 um, is propitiation. That means that God is satisfied with Jesus' death in my place. So as Jesus pours himself out on the cross, as all of my sin is placed on Jesus and God is satisfied, he is propitiated by uh, that work by Jesus on the cross. I, through faith, am made one with Jesus, so it is as if I have died on the cross. It is as if when God looks on my life, he sees all of my sins already paid for, but I didn't have to die to pay for them. Jesus did. We find also that the flip side, as it were, of this, that Jesus' perfect righteous life is given to me. An exchange takes place where my sin is placed on him. His perfection is placed on me, is credited to my life. So when God looks on me, he is satisfied that my sin has been paid for on the cross, but also that I have lived a righteous life because Jesus has done it for me and gives it freely and fully to me. If I have been connected to Jesus by placing my faith in him, his blood covers my sin and his perfect life is credited to me all by grace. And so now I am in a truly astonishing position. I can live for God knowing that I can, I can live confidently before him, knowing that he views me as his son or daughter. Not someone scrabbling to be enough, 
to, to be good enough. And sometimes we can think like that, can't we? We can try and justify ourselves before our own uh, human parents. We always want them to think well of us, that we've done well, that we have achieved, whatever it might be, and we can carry that over into our life with God. We try and earn God's favor by always being the best or by always being better than, than our, our brothers and sisters or our other family members or other people around us. We can try and, and make ourselves seem more appealing to our heavenly father because that's what we've lived our lives doing with maybe our own parents or siblings or uh, teachers or, or whoever it might be in our lives. We give all that we have to that to make others look upon us favorably, look upon us well. And as we try and carry that over into our life with God, it simply isn't going to work because God knows exactly what you are like inside and out. He knows every thought you will have, every deed you will ever do. And the good news is we don't need to curry favor with God. We don't need to earn his favor. Jesus has done it all. And so now I can live with God and know that God sees all of my flaws and failures, but he sees Jesus' perfect life applied to mine. And he is pleased. He is satisfied with it. He sees Jesus' death from my sin and no longer requires my punishment and death at all. And because I am now connected to Jesus through the Spirit of God, by faith, I'm able to to live every day pleasing God, doing that which is acceptable to Him, glorifying Him in all I do and the strength He supplies, knowing that it's not about me working up favor with Him. It's about me simply enjoying life with Him and knowing that He enjoys my worship as I give it freely and fully. And the only thing I've been able to liken this to is um, life with very young children. There, there is not a sense in, in very young children that they are trying to, to curry favor with you uh, when they bring you something um, that they've made. They simply want you to enjoy it because they have enjoyed making it and they want you to enjoy the thing that they have made. And that is a, a picture, as it were, at least as far as I'm able to, um, to put together, of our life with God in light of the, the faith that we have in Christ that we bring to God our lives, we present them to him as our spiritual act of worship, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, asking him, expectant that he will enjoy what we bring him. Is it going to be perfect? No, of course it isn't. Could it be better? A million times over, but it doesn't matter. It's us bringing all we have and asking that God receive it and that, that we give it with joyful hearts and we want him to enjoy it because it's something we have brought for him. And we know as God works in us that that we will grow in maturity and in um, the strength of our faith, that what we bring with each passing week and month and year will be a little bit better, a little bit more, uh, and and God will receive it all with, with joy because it's what we bring him, but it will be a little bit more glorifying to him as we grow in maturity. But that doesn't mean that God isn't satisfied with what you bring him today, however young and immature you may be in your faith. And it's all because we are united to Christ, and so we don't need to fear rejection anymore. We can live with abandon before God, giving all to him, 
giving all to our brothers and sisters um, that we serve in church, knowing that we're all in the same boat, we're all alike, we're all worshipping and serving God, and so I can live with generosity, knowing that we can give all we have to witness in the world because we don't need to cling on to the stuff of this life to be satisfied. We have God that satisfies us. We don't need to, to, to please God and so earn our salvation but by doing things so we can just give everything we have to the mission of God, knowing that he is pleased with it and we want to please him for the sake of worship. Faith alone saves us. Faith alone unites us to Christ and so transforms our lives. And faith alone makes us exalt God. What's the purpose of our being saved by grace through faith? The answer is found in the closing couple of verses in this passage. First, we are told in the second half of 25, it demonstrates the righteousness of God because he has passed over former sins. Now, that's a curious uh, expression. And here Paul is making reference to the Old Testament saints like Abraham and David who were saved before Jesus came. So God um, forgave them their sins, and although Jesus had not yet come, they were looking forward to the cross through time as we look back through time at the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, they may not have seen perfectly what God was going to do, but their whole lives were focused on some future work that God would do to save them and transform them completely. Secondly, we're told in verse 26 that as much as Jesus' blood was spilt for their sins in the past, we find that salvation by faith alone shows us God's righteousness at the present time, in our day, through saving us even though we're sinners. He passes over our sins and instead of laying them at our feet, he lays them at the feet of Jesus and has him bear their burden. And all of this shows us not just that we have a just, a righteous God who doesn't let sin go unpunished. We find that it expresses that he is a God who will justify anyone who comes to him in faith seeking forgiveness. And they will be freed from the weight, the debt of sin. And it gets us to understand just how amazing and gracious and wonderful a God he is. God is glorified in the pouring of all of that sin onto Jesus because it shows the length he is willing to go to to save a people for himself, a rebellious people, a people who wanted nothing to do with him. That is how much God loves this world. He sends his son to be a savior. It is an expression not just of his perfect holiness, but of the depth of his love, as we read in our reading at the beginning of our service. Paul wants us in Ephesians chapter 3 to know the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of the love of God. And how does he do it? In the sending of Jesus to be our Savior, to uniting us with him, to pouring all of our sin onto him and giving all of Christ's righteousness to us. God doesn't let a single sin go unpunished. So you can live with confidence that all your sins are paid for. But he gathers us into his family. He gives us a seat at his table in his house when we deserved none of that. And it's an expression 
of the perfection of his love towards us. He should by rights have destroyed every one of us, but he doesn't. And faith alone in God enables us to exalt him by simply existing as Christian people. Never mind our coming before him and pouring our hearts out in praise and in worship and thanksgiving and in adoration for a God who would do all of this. God himself transforms us. Though we were once disobedient, he spares us from destruction and gives us life. And this is why we must praise God. This is why we must tell others about the goodness of our God. Share not just in physical means in giving food or clothing or emotional support to people, but sharing the good news of the gospel that their lives can be transformed, not just made a little bit better for today and maybe tomorrow and maybe a week or a month or a year, but transformed for all eternity through the amazing work that God has done through Jesus' death on the cross. He has been so good to us. He will wipe away every sin we have ever committed, past, present, and future. And if we believe that, if we trust in him that this is true, place our faith in Christ as the only means of our salvation, we will, he will work in us to transform us day by day, to put to death any remaining sin in us, to help us avoid temptation, to have us changed in the way that we interact with our friends and family and neighbors so that we are different people. All so that we will embody the the work of God so that he is glorified in us, in this world, but also in the life that is yet to come in eternity, where all of mankind um, will be judged by God and God will gather to himself all those who have placed their faith in him and will be glorified by their very existence when there should be none, and yet God has spared them in love and in mercy and in grace. Taste and see, the psalmist says, that the Lord is good, and this is the expression of his goodness. He will not let sin destroy your life if you will place your faith in the means of salvation he has provided in Jesus himself. Ask for forgiveness and it will be given and transformation will come. So to go back to the beginning, what hope do we have for the world? We have transformation, the good news that God is at work in his world through his people to see total transformation come. To be saved, I must know that I'm a sinner, that I have offended God every single day and I stand guilty and condemned to death before him because of that. But he is so good to me. He has made a way for my sin to be dealt with and I need to ask God to forgive my sin and to trust that because Jesus has died in my place, all of my sins have been paid for. And I have been made right with God that he will indeed save me. And I need to go and live my life united to Jesus in light of this belief. Otherwise, I don't really believe it. And I am now a new creation. I stand not in condemnation, but in hope, seeking to love God and serve him every single day. Because here, in light of faith alone, I stand right 
with God. Go into this coming week in that confidence that if Jesus is your Savior, you have nothing to fear. Serve God and love him for all that he has done for you. Amen. And now as you prepare to go into this new week, may you go in the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.